0: My name is Noah. Hey, Noah. Good morning to you. Guess what? We have a great show coming up. This week, we're going to review Fedora 25, the first version of Fedora to ship with Wayland. 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 We'll tell you if I truly had a tear-free experience on my all-Wayland setup I have right here off to my side. Plus, I did the big upgrade from a custom Fedora 24 install to a Fedora 25 install. I'll tell you how that went, maybe how it didn't go, and the overall experience of upgrading now from several releases Of Fedora. Plus, in the news segment, we're going to talk about a file system story, potentially, depending on how our live chat room votes. Maybe not. We'll also talk about the uh, Tor phone, which claims to be the most secure phone ever. But is it actually true? Is it really legit? And then there is potentially some new hardware coming for all of us that ever, ever dreamed of a truly wireless convergent dock. Talking, no wires, set it down. Your device lights up keyboard, mouse, and screen. Then some guys over at Microsoft were trying out some new stuff under Linux you know just to do some porting and discovered a massive performance improvement We'll tell you what they discovered and how much they saw and after all of that we've got feedback we have the picks no no we have picks no we have picks no we cut the picks. we have pi- we don't have- no, no, we picks?
1: did fix. We yeah. oh, i I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have pics. You can't take the fix with me. I know. We have good pics this
0: week. Yeah, have. we do. This runs Linux is awesome. Did you find this one or did I? I know it was submitted to the subreddit. You, you,
1: no, well, the, actually, the Reddit found That's this true.
0: runs Linux. Yeah, this is from uh, CPLR Robotics or CPL Robotics. A uh, long listener, he says, uh, I had an inspiration to build myself a robo Now, there's a lot out there already that sort of have the intelligence of a Roomba for tiny yards where it just sort of goes back and forth and – cuts, but he wanted something that would cut like a human. So after about six months of doing research on hardware and embedded systems, he finally has a decent working prototype, and it runs Linux. All design, programming, GIS tools, and supporting tools, like the FieldHUD, are Linux. Arch and Ubuntu. This is a Linux-powered lawnmower, and he sent us a video of it in action. And what's particularly cool, like he mentioned in his message there, is instead of just going back and forth all over the yard, like just sort of like a Roomba back and forth type vacuum setup, this thing's actually able to be trained. He does a drive through in training mode on the yard... And then he can replay back via the computers and the controls, which he has hooked up to this uh, riding lawnmower. And you can see it'll even do the same mistakes he made in this scenario. Like his turn yeah, right I here. take that corner very well. And so it makes the same exact turn he did when he took that, which looks like a turn I would take on that corner. <laughs> so how cool is this? Here's the specs. You ready for this? Uh, it's a Raspberry Pi three running Ubuntu fourteen oh four with the preemptive kernel. The ROS used is for, uh, for all ROS is used for all high level operations. Arduino Nano for motor control and GPS, GPS and IMU assisted devices. It's got Arch in there as well, which uh, he talks up here about a bit more. Uh, and he also included some pictures of the setup. With some of the uh, here's the here's the receiver. There. This is a really cool project. There is his training. I'd be map. interested to know, like, how does it
1: control, like the like the steering wheel.
0: Well, he has uh, he talks about it in here. He has uh, uh, the uh, Arduino Nano hooked up to motor controls, so he's got he's got an Arduino controlling the motor somehow. And uh, the yellow waypoint, wow. the yellow waypoints on this map where he has his waypoint maps are ten hertz coordinates. He says the blue waypoints are simplified routes, and what's getting written to disk and played back when running a job. I don't know. That's I think so that's cool. that is so 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 cool. And he hooked up a camera to it and sent it out. And he's out there – you can watch the full video. He's out there eating a sandwich and watching his lawnmower mow his lawn for him. <laughs> you drive – that means you do it once. You don't even have to have the blade spinning. You drive it once and then right. it does he's it. You have to record
1: the path, yeah.
0: Yeah, and then from then on, it's got it. Think about that from like a yard maintenance standpoint. If you could productize this in a way where you could, you could, you could start doing like yard maintenance at scale for your customers, you get a couple of these rigs, you, you drop know, them off. You know what's funny?
1: You know the first thing that comes into my mind is liability, liability, liability. Sure. Like sure. if you're doing it for yourself, that's fine. But man, you get some kid that walks out there and i oh, yeah, a sudden, but my gotta, robot mower mowed my. Kid over there's
0: here. got oh yeah for sure. I mean there's got to be kinks worked out, but there's you know at some point there's going to be a, a, an era where you'll have a, you'll have a truck that has like three or four of these uh, lawnmowers on the back of it. They'll probably be even smaller, right? And they'll stop by people's house, they'll drop them off in a neighborhood, and they'll just get all the lawns mm-hmm. out in that neighborhood for a flat bottom rate. It's going to be. It's going to be the way yeah. – Uber for your lawn. Oh, I did it. I said it. I said it. I know. I'm sorry. Uber for your lawn. I know. That's ridiculous. DigitalOcean.com. My Uber
1: experience was good.
0: Yeah? We should talk about that. <laughs> DigitalOcean.com yeah. after this. Uh, this is uh, – I was going to make a mention about how if you were going to build a uh, Uber for the lawn infrastructure, you could do it on DigitalOcean. But that felt like too on the nose. So here's what I'll say. You want to do anything on a Linux box that doesn't need a monitor? Which is a lot of things. And actually, they do, have a, they do have an HTML5 console. But if you ever just need compute and don't need a monitor, you should consider DigitalOcean. I mention that because if it's a website, obviously. If it's a blog or a syncing instance, something like that, sure. If you just want to try out an open source project and don't want to throw a few extra libraries and packages on your system. Because DigitalOcean makes it so easy to get started in less than 55 seconds. They have a great interface. You can put your droplet all over the world, and their pricing starts at $0.03 an hour or $5 a month. And if you use our promo code, here's the thing, all all one would smash it together like you're slowing it, just like you're an animal. And you'll get a $10 credit. You can try out the $5 rig for two months for free, or you can try out the $0.03 cents an hour just for m- as much as you need it. Now, with $0.03 cents an hour machine, you get 2 gigs of RAM. Now, if you were going to do something crazy or you were doing some sort of big compute, I would recommend you check out their high droplet pricing for memory. You can, you can still get it very reasonably. For 2 bucks, two and a half bucks an hour, you can get a droplet with 224 gigabytes of RAM, 32-core processor, 500-gigabyte SSD, and 10 terabytes of transfer. <laughs> Everything's SSD too. All of these pricing include SSD drives. They're awesome interface, they're straightforward API. And DigitalOcean's just recently announced another contribution to the open source community, go qmu and go libvert, which uh, if you are familiar with qmu and libvert and go, you can probably guess what that is. This is very cool work that DigitalOcean's done. And uh, they have a blog post that I have linked in the show notes if you want to read more about it. digitalocean.com. Use our promo code. Here's the thing, all one word Try it out for a little while. It's really a great service. I use it for all kinds of things, from hosting an IRC instance to syncing files, playing around with NextCloud, trying out open source projects, running Minecraft for my son, and Mumble for Linux Unplugged. Not to mention the live streams of this very show, all powered by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean DigitalOcean.com, user promo code, here's the thing, and a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Action Show so this uh, open source desktop spotlight this week, or I guess it's the pick, whatever the hell, uh, it was the obvious choice after last week. And it was one of my first training wheels coming to Linux. So I have a very, very, very special soft spot for it. And uh,
1: it's, it's interesting you say that because I was tangentially aware of it, but I've never extensively used it. We're and not, so when, and I, and I mean, I got telegrams, I got IRC messages, oh yeah, I man. got emails. I think there was a post in the red, like everyone was like, how could you mention without mentioning?
0: Oh, oh, that Midnight was my cue. Oh, sorry. I was actually installing <laughs> it while you talked. Uh, yeah. Midnight commander, which is uh, if everybody knows, but it's a visual command line manager, file manager. And it's a lot like Norton commander, which was something that was available for DOS back in the day, which I had experience with back in the DOS day. And so when I moved over to Linux for the first time, I was very, very early in my Linux history. I was put in the role of administering servers. And so I was immediately responsible for understanding Unix file permissions when I was coming from a DOS background. And it was – the whole octal permissions thing back then was, it was very confusing and there wasn't a graphical file manager for me to use. And so Midnight Commander allowed me to browse the file system in a way that was familiar from my DOS days, which gave me sort of a confidence I needed to move forward and figure out how the file system was laid out. And it gave me a visual way to understand the file system from a terminal. And it gave me a visual way to understand file properties and set permissions. So Midnight Commander is a great app. And it's, it's sort of, it's sort of uh, like the best of a GUI because it's like still on the command line. It uses S curses, so uh, you actually can uh, move around with like a menu system. I want to install it right now. I wonder. <clears throat> I don't know what the package name is though, but uh, I love it, Noah.
1: You should have you tried it at all. Packer. You should try it. I played with it a little bit after. Uh, I, again, I've been tangentially aware of it for a while. I've seen other people using it. I've heard other people talking about it. I was at. I think the. I think one of the. The. I think uh, one of the guys at uh, self gave a presentation on it. A couple of years ago. And so, you know, I was, I, I, I knew what it was. I just, uh, yeah, it never really, it never really dawned on me. And then when I was searching for an app pick and I was like, Oh, that's kind of cool graphical, you know, inside of the command line. Mm-hmm. And then the next week, everyone just kind of jumping on me going like, if you want a command line, uh, file manager, here is the granddaddy of yeah. command line file managers. So it was, the other I, thing it, I, I thought should it, say, was, it was only pro-
0: the other thing I should say that I really liked about it back in the day was, uh, it also gave me access to. Managing uh, compression, like you know, uh, tar and 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 zip archives under Linux when I was very new to it, and it even had uh, the ability to do like some Samba browsing. I wonder here. I got it installed right here. Uh, so this is this is Midnight Commander, which uh, it does look like DOS. Yeah, doesn't it? It really does, and it's end curses. <laughs> and so you can have two directories, and you can tab between the two directories. So I can move files between directories, which is if you think about it, when you don't really know all the commands, it's nice to have. Uh, to be able to do that super easily. You have F command keys down here at the bottom. So uh, if I go into home, Chris Lass, I can go look at a file. I don't have it. I don't think. Oh, yeah, I do. Let's go look at uh, Race the Sun. So I can go here to Race the Sun, and I can bring up – I can, I, can do, I, can GZ, I can manage Z, gzip files in here. There's, I can compress the current directory. I can get info and in, put it up in a browser. It's so cool. I mean, this is such a great application. So it's MC once you get it installed. And uh, if you're on, it's probably just MC in your, your distro's uh, package manager, too. And then you can just, I don't know, play around like it's DOS. It's, it's super cool. Super fun. I really liked it. So that's a really good pick. And thank you to everybody who mentioned it. Uh, they really, really let us know. <laughs> we've really heard from you heard yeah, it from a lot of yeah, people yeah, i heard yeah. it from a lot of people
1: so there we covered it so noah tell me about the pine book yeah what's the pie boy book? Uh, yeah yeah all right so the pine book is a starting at 89 uh basically arm-based pc now here's what's super exciting about this for me for a number of years i have ever since chromebooks came out i have been taking chromebooks and turning them into you know very very low powered linux boxes for a variety of different things. I like we gave a couple of them to Alta speed uh, employees that were they were uh, working in the call center, and all they basically had to do was open our ticket really? system up and type in tickets. Yeah, it was it was perfect for those. But the huge problem with Chromebooks is that they're they're really designed for Chrome OS. So if the battery dies completely, you lose your whole install. Oh man! And so what what I've transitioned to is instead of getting Chromebooks, is just going buying you know used uh, you know laptops on eBay that you know still have some life, and then repurposing those. But what I've always wanted was a very inexpensive computer that can do basic web browsing, email, terminal, those kinds of things. And the Pinebook 64 seems like it's the first computer to kind of meet that spec. It doesn't come pre-installed with Windows. So it's not like the subsidized Windows computers that they block the, you know, the, the Wi-Fi chips and stuff so you can't get Linux installed. And it's not like the Chromebooks that are subsidized by Google. And so they have that right protect thing on the drive. And unless you want to open the computer up and do all it modding to make it so it doesn't blow away your install it's just a plain laptop computer that you can order my understanding is that it comes even though they sell all the individual components you can buy it just as an assembled box Hmm. for you know 90 bucks and you have an arm based computers and i think providing stuff like this is going to change the way Kids and 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 you know and educational institutions can play with Linux because you're taking the cost effectiveness of a Raspberry Pi and now you're putting that into a laptop and I think that has tremendous potential. So
0: uh, right now it's only available for pre order. It looks like it doesn't look like you can uh, yeah. buy it. So I put my email address in. Now, um, Azure in the I, chairman, I did. <laughs> You did? Yeah, we'll try it. Yep. Azure in the chat oh, yeah. saying they have uh, they have some bad history with the GPL, so it might people might want to look into that before they order it. Uh, I'm going to look into it too just from like a curious following this from the from like a show coverage standpoint. And if I do end up getting one, I'll dig further into the GPL stuff as well. It looks like they have IRC room form, a wiki, um, and you can find out more at pine64.org. I'll have a link in the show notes. That would be really great, a, a you know $90 computer that
1: runs Linux. Put Ubuntu Matei on it. It's just be, be, you know, like even yeah. like simple things. Imagine yeah. for 89 bucks, Chris, you could have that computer sitting at the studio so that when Chase comes in and he wants to launch IRC, uh, he's not, you know, he, everyone, you know, has or when or when Wes comes in and he's looking something up on a web browser or something, just a just a, a grab and go laptop for 89 bucks. You can afford to do that. Right. Totally. It just it, I don't know. It's really cool, really exciting. Yeah. There you go. There you go. That's the uh, the Pine64
0: laptop. So uh, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash stickers. I think we're going to do uh, the super key stickers for a couple more days with uh, your purchase of another – I think just grabbed the Linux Action Show sticker. What? You forgot to, to grab some, some, didn't you? I thought so. Okay. I thought so. Oh. Yeah. Uh, the super key stickers are really cool. I love this shot that was sent into the subreddit, Linux Action Show user here, and I'm filter stickers representing – on that laptop. Also, that's an awesome – the uh, Mills River Brewery sticker where they have the Jeanette, the uh, molecule structure of beer and then the peace sign. Look at how similar those two things are. There's something mm. in there. There's something in there. <laughs> tomorrow's the big day. I'm kind of nervous, actually. I actually am a little nervous on my personal channel. I'm launching a new project and a new style of video, which includes my trip down to BSD, the interaction with the folks down at BSD, including some of the people that are the very founders of FreeBSD, and all of that gets launched on my personal channel tomorrow. It's a whole series of video to be released every single day for probably eight days or so. I don't know. I think I got eight or nine in the queue right now, including some with that handsome mug right there when he was up here a uh, couple of, last weekend. Was it last weekend for the Linux Action Show? Yeah. So that's – And there's a lot this week. huh? Yeah, we've done a lot. And uh, so those are coming out starting tomorrow, one a day. Actually, probably – I think it's going to be two for the first day and then one a day after that at youtube.com slash chrisfisher, my name. And uh, you can subscribe there and get those if you'd like because they're uh, relevant to your interest, I would hope. All right, Noah. Let's do the news.
1: Hey, it's the news, and this episode is brought to you by Ting.com. In
0: fact, before we get to Ting.com, Blast.Ting.com, uh, we're going to do a little uh, thing, just sort of change it up right here, little thing, going to do a little thing right here, full stop, stop the show, we're doing a thing. Chat room is going to decide if we would cover a story or not. So I've I've submitted a straw poll to them, do you want a nerdy, boring file system news story? Yes, please deliver it directly to my ear hole, or no, I hate you, just link it in the show notes, old man. Those are the options. For the straw poll, and whichever way the chat room goes, by the end of the news, will determine if we cover
1: the last it, news story live. It's really good that you phrase that question in a in, in a in a very neutral manner, as to not affect no, the bro, outcome. No, no, no,
0: no, no, no the other no fact, you know what? I'm as neutral as Ting is about shaking up the wireless industry. Last.Ting.com on a mission to make mobile make sense. They only charge you for what you use. There's no contract, no other termination fee, and it's just $6 a month for the line. You want to bring a device? Guess what? Ting's got CDMA and GSM, so you probably can't check their BYOD page. And it's only going to be about 23 bucks a month if you're the average for your line. That's after your minutes, your messages, your megabytes, your data for your fancy smartphone. For your fancy smartphone. Now, here's something else nice about Ting. Super great customer service. Super good people there, working hard, real geeks. They love smartphones. That's why they're doing that job. And they're Canadians, too. So I think they might just be accidentally pleasant by nature. Then, to top it all off, for a limited time, Ting has a Black Friday sale going. Even though they're Canadians. How about those Ting folks over there? Crazy Ting with their crazy Black Friday deals. Oh, my gosh.
1: (laughs) Ting's Black Friday Mega Sale. November 25th to November 28th. All right, Moto G4 Play. I can't handle it. Twenty four. That's crazy. iPhone 5s. One seventy four. Cheap. LG Tribute 5. Fifty what? bucks, so cheap. And much more. Rush on over to team.com/shop. That's team.com/shop. Last. Last. Slash shop. Deals this Last. good team. only come
0: around. Uh, once a year, actually. So what do you think?
1: I'm gonna have to ask you guys to clear out your desks. It's fair.
2: You
0: yep. <laughs> just fired those guys. <laughs> Last.ting.com. Go there. they got a great deal going on right now. And uh, all the devices are unlocked. You own them outright. They don't get in the way of the updates from crazy, crazy cheap feature phones all the way up to the latest and greatest Cadillacs. So bring your own. Last.ting.com. And a big thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. Okay. So speaking of mobile news, let's talk about this Tor phone right here off the top. They say it's a super secure version of Android developed by the Tor project. I bet this is pushing all your buttons. Sure, Noah? Mm -hmm. I'm sure you're super excited about this. I'll give you a couple details, though, before you jump in, before you weigh in. So it's the aptly named Tor Phone. This new phone has been designed by Tor developer Mike Perry. It's based on Copperhead OS, which is an Android distribution that comes with multiple security enhancements out of the gate. And in fact, uh, Android... Core, Android proper, has taken a lot of the security patches from Copperhead OS and applied it to the Android base over time. Copperhead is also the only Android ROM that supports verified boot, which prevents exploits from modifying the boot system, recovery, and vendor device partitions, which is obviously pretty essential for a secure device. In the blog post, the Tor Project website, on the Tor Project site, which I have linked in the show notes, Perry has has detailed the process of installing the prototype. And at the moment, it only works on the Nexus and Pixel lines. Uh, because they're the only ones that support verified boot. Uh, the Tor project says the current prototype has a lot of unfinished pieces, but the project wants to add more, like uh, Micro-G support, NetFilter API, uh, and a bunch of other really interesting things. So I'm going to pause right here, Noah. It only works on Nexus mm-hmm. and Pixel devices because uh, it needs the verified boot option. Um mm-hmm. Let's let's accept as a sake of argument that an Android phone is required, maybe for your work or for the apps that you need. And so you have to have an Android smartphone. Maybe
1: something like this from the Tor project could be a, a solid option. What do you think? Or maybe maybe I mean maybe you just like Android as an operating system. Or maybe you think that Android is a is, is a more free alternative than 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 anything else in the marketplace. And I, I think a lot of times We rag on Android and we rail on Android and, you know, we criticize Android and Google. But the reality is, and I think this story kind of exemplifies it, is that really we don't see this kind of innovation happening on Apple. There's nobody making alternative operating systems for Apple. There aren't a, a plethora of manufacturers competing to make different hardware devices for iOS and so in a lot of a lot of the same things that I appreciate about Linux and Linux distributions and the fact that I can take an HP or a Lenovo or even a MacBook or whatever and I can put my Linux distro on it in the same way. Oh, I think boy. that this kind of exemplifies. This kind of exemplifies that we can take all these oh, different manufacturers,
2: and everyone
1: can make an operating no, system. No, no, and no, then no, no. we can take no, and no, say, no. well, those that are very hey. security conscious and want to make, you know, a really good operating system that's very very secure, we can take Android and, and, and turn it into that. I hate to have and to so, flush the stream, Noah. I know it. I'm
0: sorry, buddy. I got to flush this. <laughs> this is uh, this is something I tried to make you understand during user error uh, when we talked about the Pixel and you brushed it off as no big I know, deal. I just agree with you. And here <laughs> is a post from the Tor project themselves where they're discussing this new initiative. And they say there are systemic threats to software freedom on the Android platform. Everything you just oh, said sure. is under massive threat. They say, unfortunately, not only is Copperhead the only Android rebuild that supports a verified boot, but the Google Nexus and Pixel hardware is the only Android hardware that allows the user to install their own keys to retain both the ability to modify the device as well as have the file system security provided by verified boot. This, Mm -hmm. combined with Google's increasing hostility – and they have links – towards Android as a fully open source platform as well as a difficulty for external entities to keep up with Android surprise release and opaque development processes – Means that the ability for end users to study, share, use, and improve the Android system is in great jeopardy. This all means the Android platform is effectively moving to a look but don't touch shared experience model that Microsoft tried back in the early 2000s. This is the Tor project's words, by the way. However, instead of being explicit about this, Google appears to be doing this serendipitous, you know, on the download because my Tongue doesn't work this morning. It's, very, it's a very disturbing trend, they say. It is unfortunate that Google seems to be locking down Android as the only solution to the fragmentation and resulting insecurity of the Android platform. We believe that more mm-hmm. transparent development and release processes along with deals for longer device firmware supports from the, from the uh, SOC vendors would go a long way to ensuring that it's easier for good OEM players to stay up to date. See part of what they 're saying there is google doesn 't even have the right agreements in with the system on the chip developers for the OEMs to even continue to manufacture updates in the background. Simply moving more components to Google Play, even though it will keep these components up to date doesn 't solve the systemic problem that there's still no OEM incentives to update the base system i 'm almost done. Uh, If Google Play is to be used as as a source of leverage to solve this problem, a far better approach would be to use it as a pressure point to mandate OEMs keep their base system updated. If they fail to do so, the users will begin to lose Google Play functionality with proper warning that notifies them that their vendor is not honoring their support agreement. Another option would be to change the license of the AOSP itself to require that any parties that distribute binaries to the base system must provide updates to all devices for some minimum period of time. Mm-hmm. This uh they say uh, uh that uh, they go on to say that uh if if this doesn't get remnied remnified they believe that projects like Copperhead are incredibly important to continue to support because otherwise once we lose these types of freedoms on mobile we're probably never going to get them back. It's not like the vendors are going to add these functionality or these support for external or third party OSs back in once they take it out. And so right. that's why projects like the Torphone and Copperhead OS are actually really critical. And you know other other third-party uh, uh, OSs because they put pressure on Google to keep it open a little bit. The issue is there's nothing in place for the OEMs. The Nexus 6P and the Pixel are the only phones they can do this verified boot thing on right now. And the window is getting smaller mm-hmm. and smaller and tighter for them.
1: So your paradise yeah. of, well, you would never even see this on iOS. It's not a, it, it, we're a far away from a paradise. I'm not saying it's a paradise. I'm not saying it's a perfect system. Not even, I'm not even saying I like it. What I am saying is we are – light years ahead of where apple is find me an alternative operating system that i can boot on the iphone tell me which iphone model i can install my own keys on find me one not (laughs) two not not only limited to two find me a single phone and then we can have that conversation at least there is a conversation happening even if you know it it is not a perfect conversation even if we're not we're a long way from a paradise here's what i thought at least were. we're on at least we're a first couple steps down the road.
0: Here's where I thought you were going to take it. I thought you were going to critique the baseband issue. Because it doesn't matter how secure the Tor Project makes their spin of Copperhead OS, if the baseband can turn your microphone on, can track you, can is an entirely different controlled OS that you have no oversight on, what's the damn point? That's probably what a lot of you were thinking about. Well, the Tor Project blog post also addresses that. They say until phones with audible baseband isolation are available, the Neo 900 looks like a promising candidate, the baseband remains a problem on all these phones. It's unknown if vulnerabilities or backdoors in the baseband can turn on the mic, make silent calls, access device memory even. Using a portable hotspot or secondary insecure phone is one option for now, but it's still unknown if the baseband is fully disabled in airplane mode. In the previous post, commenters recommend wiping the baseband, but on most phones, this seems to also disable GPS. It would be useful to be able to audit whether airplane mode fully disables the baseband using either OpenBTS or a custom hardware monitoring device. So that's on their radar, but they don't have a solid answer for the baseband issue at this point. It is still its own unique beast, even when you put Copperhead OS or whatever on the device. Mm. That's that's, – that is definitely an issue, but I feel like there, can, there are steps you can take, and you have to at least take the steps you are capable of taking. And so if you got one of these mm-hmm. devices, you say you use SIP instead of traditional phone calls and Telegram mm-hmm. or Signal or whatever, uh, wire, I don't care, whatever you like using, then maybe you'd have a pretty good shot. And use F-Droid for your marketplace. You'd probably be better off mm-hmm. than most Android users. You have that for sure. So so one more kind of mobiley story. The audio is super bad on this, uh, so I would recommend you go listen to it yourself because it will be easier if you're listening – um, without our re encoding, and if you have headphones on, potentially. But Ubicon Europe 2016 wrapped up last week. A couple of interesting things. I'll have it linked to the uh, channel if you want to watch some of the videos. I think you're going to like this one. The audio is hard to understand, so I'll just play a little bit of it and then I'll, I'll, I'll restate what was said. But I want you to see it here. So this is at the Ubicon Welcome, and the UB Ports gentleman it, who runs UB Ports is up on the stage. You know, he's involved with porting these OS's, uh, uh, specifically working on Ubuntu Touch. He's up on stage during the welcome and announces a piece of hardware during the opening.
2: And uh, Marcus will tell you something about his
0: project. So Marcus comes up on stage. <clears throat>
2: Yes, some of you might know a little
0: bit about this. I'll try to hype it up as fast as I can. So, uh, he shows a uh, which, is, which, from what your perspective, will look probably just like a little black box. Let uh, I me. Mean, I'm trying to. I'll try to jump ahead. So there you go. Up on stage, you can hardly see what it is.
2: Mm-hmm. This thing. This thing is a docking station for one one-touch.
1: To Did you hear what he just said? A docking station for Ubuntu Touch? Yep.
2: docking station that will work on all of the devices if it has HDMI or not. Because so
0: if it has HDMI out, including Android, it'll also work with Android.
2: It's using the uh, using USB to transfer the data images, uh, the video images. It also will have USB pass-through and uh, uh, sound pass-through. So it will be a docking station... Like uh, you have it in HDMI and in SlimPort, for example, but it will work on all a bunch of touch devices and Android devices.
0: So all a bunch of touch devices, all Android devices. It'll you leave it there. It'll have all your stuff hooked up: your HDMI, your USB. It uses Miracast, I believe, for the video. And inside it, to power all of this, is a Linux computer. Inside the little docking station, is a dedicated Linux computer, like a little Raspberry Pi something or other, or equivalent. That's handling the logic and the handoff of the docking station. So – and he's got prototypes of the hardware already in development. He's got a good standing in the community. This, if it goes to market, could be a really big deal because it's a very slick-looking docking station. I've seen some I've seen some, uh, mock-ups of it and um, it isn't like a huge bet on Ubuntu Touch necessarily because it also works with Android later versions of Android. Mm -hmm. So it's something that you could buy and use with Ubuntu Touch successfully, but still get value with an Android device. And it totally completes the narrative of convergence. So Unity 8 comes out soonish, you know, on the desktop. We've got Unity 8 already on the mobile device. This thing in, in, you know, like a year, you might have new phone hardware. You have this docking station. You have Unity 8 on the desktop. You have Unity 8 on the phone. You put your phone on this docking station or hook up the USB-C connection, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, that phone legitimately turns into a usable desktop where I can use a keyboard with my terminal, I can check my email, I can use this thing to actually get a little bit of work done, and I unplug the cable, and it goes back and it's on my handset. And we've got functioning mirror now on these devices, we've seen Convergence work in demos already early days, there's just not a standardized piece of hardware to plug them all into, and this thing could be it. You leave your monitor, your keyboard, your wireless devices all connected to this little docking station, you have one at home, you have one at work, you have one in a couple of places, and you sit down and put Put it in there and the price point uh i think it's around somewhere like around 70 or 80 us dollars for the docking station mm-hmm. so this seems totally doable to me i think this could actually be yep. a real product what do you think
1: interested i am i am first of all i'm a huge proponent of docks. right i have a dock at my office that i i i dock my thinkpad on then i have a, a duplicate with two monitors down in my basement so i i use docs constantly um and one of the one of the uh, things that I thought where the Ubuntu phone could get ahead and get get into the marketplace is this idea. If I could go to a business owner, or I could go to uh, you know even a you know even somebody who works in a business like a like a pharmaceutical rep, right? They spend a disproportionate amount of their time going from hospital to hospital, clinic to clinic, and giving presentations on the newest drugs or the newest devices. A lot of that relies on them taking their laptop. And bringing it with and setting up this presentation, then they hook it up to the TV or the projector, whatever the facility has, and then they give this presentation. If I could hand them a, a device and say, listen, when you sit down in your office and you set this device down on this magic little pad... You have access to your keyboard and your mouse and in your dual display setup and your printer and speakers and all that, and you can you know do your presentations and answer emails and all that. When you go on the road, you get onto an airplane, you put it in this other little foldable dock, and now you've got a ten-inch display and a and a little keyboard or whatever. And when you go in to give these presentations, you just connect this little you know special cable, and you can and you know, it hooks right up to the TV. Everything can be done on this little seven-inch device. Now there is a void yeah, in the marketplace man. that literally nobody has. And as a business owner, as long as they can answer emails and do presentations and stuff, it would totally serve their purposes. Yeah. Uh, the dock just makes that that much easierer, yeah. and if it's if it 's under one hundred bucks, it makes
0: it pretty doable too i spent uh, I spent about a year or two years working in the i t side of building applications for the construction industry here in Washington, and a massive amount of those people were jumping on tablets because they were taking them from job site to job site to job site, and they wanted battery life mm-hmm. and a lot of them didn 't even have a PC Some of them would then take them back and do some data entry, and I could totally see it working really well in that industry too. Speaking of talks, uh, FOSS 2016, F-S-O-S-S, 2016, F-S-O-S, uh, wrapped up, and their videos are also posted online. So I have a link to that YouTube channel as well. Another event that went down, uh, this guy's name is Jay, and uh, he works at Microsoft in the .NET division. And they're porting a lot of their .NET code over to GNU slash Linux. And uh, they ran into a bit of a surprise when they did the early port. They hadn't even gotten to the optimization stage yet. They're just getting... the the foundation up just getting things
3: working and they were a little surprised let me switch back to machine one um yeah one of the things that was really really exciting for me as the the you know the team authoring the technology they were building on was when i got the mail um from them then they mentioned hey you know we're seeing 2x performance um improvements over our uh existing native stuff i'm like whoa we haven't even started performance tuning yet um, so that was a positive thing, and I'll talk a little bit more about some of the performance we're seeing um, for out of .NET Core on you know the the Linux and, and Mac. Uh, so
0: so that's kind of interesting, right? Like uh, okay, we move it over to Linux, and whoa, we haven't even done any tweaks yet, and we're already getting better performance than we get under Windows. But I guess it was they continued mm-hmm. testing; it was good enough. That they're like, "Shit, we better get the
3: Windows version working better versus Windows <laughs> platforms. Uh, to steal my own thunder, and amongst friends here. Uh, We've got the Windows Server team doing some work now because uh, we're faster on Linux uh, than we are on Windows right now. Um, so often I get asked the other question, "Was are always oh, going to be for form?" Well, well, it turns out, yes. Um, a little bit better. Um, so there
0: you go. They've built .NET for Windows for how many years, and in their, when they're moving pieces over to Linux, they're
1: seeing better performance improvements. That is now. Here is now. Here is the question to all the people, and I got into it with a couple of guys on YouTube a couple of weeks ago because they uh, they said that we didn't give fair coverage to Microsoft, that we're not unbiased, and that we go into it with bias, and and so I just basically destroyed their arguments. That's why we have different opinions because some of you are wrong. Uh, I the the uh, when, it, when it comes to this Microsoft thing, if they really were invested in Linux and they're supporting the Linux Foundation and now they love Linux and Linux is great and Linux on the server and Linux Linux Linux, why not why why spend the money and the time and the effort? to make it work better on Windows. Why not oh, just say, hey, still you know what? Work. It works on Linux. Hey, hey, listen. It works better on Linux. And and uh, we love Linux now and we support the Linux <laughs> Foundation. We give half a million dollars. So why don't they just say, go install it on Linux? That really is the better solution for the server market share. I'll tell you why. Because they make a lot of money on Windows Server. And so they want the people that are willing, that are dumb enough to spend the money on Windows Server to have a decent experience on Windows Server so that they don't go to Linux where Microsoft doesn't make any money because dumb they're enough. not on Windows. Dumb enough.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right. I, I just, yeah,
1: Why? yeah. No, that's fair. I, uh, I just, by fair by I mean way, probably I not want, true. I just wanted to point out. I just wanted to point out. I really like the. I really like the fact that guy had a really nice MacBook on his. The, the Microsoft Windows guy had a really nice MacBook to give his presentation on how Linux works better.
0: It's good. All right. Let's find Tell out if the uh, chat hard. room wants us to cover the very boring, nerdy file system story. <laughs> Looks like uh, the live boats are in. And survey says 76% of us want us to cover the nerdy, boring file system news. Only 24% said link it, old man. So we're going to cover it. <laughs> we're going to cover it. <laughs> a lot of people, they listen to this man, show. Or, that's
1: way too. That, that really says something.
0: A lot of people listen to this show. and They're like, oh, Chris is such a ZFS fanboy. Or they listen to Linux Unplugged. I don't know where they get that. But they would listen and they go, oh, Chris is such a ZFS fanboy. But truly, no. do you know what my favorite file system is? Now going on like ButterFS. See, now you're trolling. Huh? Now you're trolling me. Now huh? you're trolling me. No, my... Going on now, XFS I want to say it. maybe a dozen years. Honestly, it's XFS. For a dozen years, I have loved the XFS file system. And there is a post over on the Oracle Mainline Linux kernel development blog about some new features coming to the file system that I think you should all be using for your desktops and laptops. It says, for the past year, I've been working on a bunch of new features for XFS. By the way, that this work for the past year is why I've doubled down on my love for XFS, because I've been watching this work, and I've been very impressed XFS is is gorgeous. It's a modern-day file system. It's a direct descendant from the original XFS code from SGI, IRIX. They knew their shit back then. The goals are the same, though. From back then to today, XFS is intended to have and behave consistently as it scales to larger storage and more and more files, which is exactly what I need. So they've been working on copy-on-write like ButterFS and a few other fancy features. This has been something that uh, has been maybe some people have been wanting from XFS. I've never particularly wanted this, but I do like the way they're going about it. And so it's one of the main uh, uh, one of the main draws for things like uh, ButterFS. So XFS historically with none of these features had it. Now they've been working on it and they've talked about how they've been implementing these features. They're also talking about enhancing XFS's error recovery, more online defragmentation work and uh, XFS metadata records indexed by B trees now. Uh, So the online scrubber can look at every B-tree block looking for structural problems, and then it can perform basic sanity checks on every record and cross-reference each record with other metadata to look for discrepancies and then notify the admin. This is a system now that's getting closer to that self-healing, watching for damage, and then can notify the admin when work needs to be done. They're also working on uh, -on copy-on-write supports where they can also duplicate blocks. So you look at the block level in the file system, and if you want to make a copy, they can just duplicate the blocks, just make exact copies of them, or allow two files to share the same blocks. Really cool stuff they talk about in this blog. So I wanted to just take this moment and say give XFS a consideration because the future is bright, and the last year has been very good for XFS, and I've been deploying on a lot of my machines recently. So I know, noy. I know, I know. You're an extended four guy all the
1: way, true, and forever. <laughs> yeah, well, but it, it, here's the thing: I, I really am, think that, you should look at. It. I said it once. I, I and I and I own this. I am the Walmart of Linux users. I use the plain Jane, no frills, and ext. It just it just freaking works. It just doesn't break. It just you install it. It just works. And yeah, no it's. A, I it.
0: also think it's a great file system too. I think XFS, uh I feel like. Because of my history with it, because of its heritage, because of the features that they're going towards, I feel like it has a good future and it has had a good history. Not that Extended 4 hasn't, mm-hmm. but this just has some more features. And Copy on Write will be very nice if I want to turn it on. Um, there's a bunch of other really nice stuff that they're outlining. I won't put us all to sleep with it, but they talk about the process of adding Copy on Write to a file system that didn't have it and some of the overhead issues they had to avoid and fragmentation problems they had to over- avoid. And if, if you're interested in that kind of stuff, it's a really cool – Nitty gritty blog post, and I'll have it linked in the show notes. So there you go.
1: So, so
2: I got it out clear, of my Just
0: system. for the
1: record, you think that XFS is a better file system than ButterFS? Why are you making me do that? <laughs> it's like it's asking me to compare two different things. But yes,
0: I would. I would. Don't. I don't use ButterFS anymore, and I actively use XFS. So if that's an answer for you, uh, you're just trying to get me. You're trying yeah. to get me in trouble. Trying to get uh, the comments going. Uh, yeah, I see what uh, you're uh, doing. Uh, I
1: see uh, what you're doing. Uh, hey, yeah. listen. There hasn't. We have. I've, I've, look, in your defense, have we covered a single story that ha- that has not completely one hundred percent aligned with uh, with with your perception and your presentation of ButterFS? Has that ever once happened? Like every story we cover seems to lie exactly up. It's like, it's, well, it's
0: just. Sorry. I mean, ButterFS is going through a challenging time right now, so that's like, you know, picking apples out of a barrel when they're floating around. I mean, I'm just. I mean, come on, this is just bad. Yeah. In two years, apples it might not up, be like or that. Or- Maybe. I'm saying, anyway, I'm saying sorry. for right now. I'm saying for right now. Here's here's what I like about. Here's what I like about XFS's approach is XFS is a really tried and true file system that's been around for ages. That is adding new features now and not breaking things in the process. They're starting with something tried, true, super tested and stable with great heritage, and they're improving it in ways that clean it up and make it even better and are really intelligent. And that's what that blog post really gets to. And I just. There are ways – there are design philosophies and approaches to file systems, like how the group works, how it's thought through. All of that is manifested in the kind of file system that you get. And I think XFS, I like the recipe they're cooking with. It's like sous vide for file systems. All right, now, now that we're all fired up, let's go review Fedora 25. Dora with Wayland is finally here, and it's time for us to review it and tell you how the upgrade went. And first, I want to thank our segment sponsor who makes this review possible, and that's Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplug to support this show and sign up for a seven-day free trial. Linux Academy is a platform built by folks who love Linux and wanted to help spread it. And they came together with educators, developers, and they created the Linux Academy with self-paced, in-depth video courses on every Linux cloud and DevOps topic, hands-on, scenario-based labs, instructor mentoring, human help when you actually... And learning paths to help you go down a series of courses and content planned by instructors, a course scheduler that works around your busy schedule, labs that spin up on demand and and match the distribution that Mitch chose for you, no, the ones you choose for yourself, and a community packed full of Jupyter Broadcasting members. And for those of you that have been signed up for Linux Academy, you, you already know this, but they're constantly rolling out new stuff. So you're always getting value in your subscription like their new quick training bookmarks. So that way if you're going through Linux Academy like, you know what, in a week or so when I got some time or tomorrow or a couple of days or whenever I want to do this one, I say, oh, I like this course idea. They're now making it super easy to bookmark it and get back to it later when you're ready to pick it up in their quick training or in the labs area, which is such a nice feature. Because I know for me, I can kind of plan stuff ahead and then build myself up a list kind of like a reading queue. And then uh, just kind of bust through it, linuxacademy.com slash unplug. They also now have public profiles, so that way you can help people recognize the work you've gotten done, linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. So for a couple of releases now, I've been experimenting with Fedora's upgrade process. And so I decided to take a machine from 24 to 25. So – I could at least give you that experience because I think it's a key part of the Fedora experience. And I also have a stock machine I tried. So we got – and Noah has got a couple machines. So we got a couple of different rigs that we threw Fedora mm-hmm. 25 on for this week's episode. Let's start though just for like the sake of doing it in chronological order. Let's start with my upgrade experience. If Fedora's going to work for me, and I think if it's going to work for most people, it's got to have a really solid upgrade process. That going from version 24 to 25 thing needs to not be a thing. And this is something I've been wanting to test for a while, and it's something the Fedora folks say has gotten even better with the new release. Well, I've got a Fedora 24 install it has been around for a long time, lots of customizations. What do you say we give it the old upgrade test and see how it goes? Okay, here we have a fairly unassuming Fedora 24 installed. Uh, GNOME desktop, Arc theme, United RPMs for some packages like VLC, MPV, uh, YouTube DL, and a few other things. Nothing too extreme. Oh, and Chrome installed from Google's download page. So when I go to the Software Center here, the first thing that comes up on the update screen is Fedora 25 now available. So I'm gonna hit the big download. This is gonna start, and then we'll see where it goes. Whoa, geez, it's it's going fast already. It just jumped ahead. Let's see what it says. Error running transaction on libmpeg123.so from install of mpeg123. Conflicting files. Oh, we have file mpeg123 libs conflicts with libmpeg123. Wait, does that mean my entire installation is done? Uninstall and move on. So am I stuck on Fedora 24 now? The struggle is real and I'm pushing on using the terminal. I'm going to do a DNF system upgrade. I'm doing dash dash release version 25, and then, tac tac, allow erasing. That should do what I'm hoping is uninstall stuff that's blocking and just move on. Let's find out. Okay, gonna give DNF the go, saying yes here. Download size will be 1.1 gigs. It's going to do 42 packages. It'll upgrade 12,075, and it's going to remove 10 packages. Interesting. Uh, Firewall D is getting downgraded. Removing FFmpeg, GNOME MPV, MPV, N1, VLC. So essentially removing everything un- uninstalled from United RPMs. Okay. Not the end of the world. Obviously fixable. Kind of a pain in the butt to do this every few months. But Let's give it a shot. Hmm. Looks like we still have an error. Transaction check error. Lib that same one. Libmpeg123 conflicts. Well, let's. I guess I'll try uninstalling that myself, and then giving it another go. sudo DNF remove libmpeg123. Let's get rid of that sucker. And you can see a lot of libraries have got to go, including some that are actually kind of nice, but not too surprising here. AAC support libfmpeg, um, and VLC. Again, I can reinstall those, but it's kinda tedious to have to do this. I'm surprised some of these are actually just from the standard Fedora repos too. Not just from United RPMs, but gonna go ahead and tell it to erase all of that, and then we'll continue on. So now let's uh, pop it up a couple here and see if we can do the full upgrade. Alright, I'm allowing it to continue. It says it's still gonna downgrade five packages. Of course, it's nice, it's skipping, since it's already downloaded all the packages, going right to the installation. Let's say there we go, complete. Now, once I do, once I do DNF system upgrade reboot, it'll complete the final installation of all of the packages. But it looks like everything passed. Python 3 firewall got downgraded and firewall D got downgraded. Oh my goodness. Alright, there it goes. It's doing the reboot. It's the moment of truth. At the boot process here, it's going to start upgrading. Here we go! Cleaning up. Wait for it. It's like the Microsoft School of Progress bars here. I walk up, 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 up. What are we doing now? Oh, the counter started over. Now we're verifying. Okay, first login after upgrade. Just confirm this is GNOME on Wayland. Hitting an enter and. Let's see how things look. Look at that! My extensions are there. Chrome. Chrome fires right up. Ooh, look at that. Yeah, that's smooth. I'm gonna play around with this. Okay, so I've already added the United RPMs, RPM for Fedora 25, and it's actually updating a couple of packages. I imagine VLC will just be a couple of commands away. Interesting I didn't have to uninstall everything third-party I installed, like Telegram CLI, also from the United RPMs repo. Didn't have to remove that. VLC, probably because of lib uh, MPEG-123 or whatever it was that it depended on. That, that sort of makes sense. It's more, it's more intertwined. So I, I think that's manageable. With the, with the way that RPM Fusion and United RPM stays on top of this, plus with distributions like Corora, the core upgrade functionality worked. <clears throat> it's there. It's, it is my customized GNOME 3 desktop with my own GNOME extensions, Arc theme, Installed for both GTK and the shell, although I think it might have changed my icons, possibly. Uh, And Chrome's still working. Most of my main apps are still there. It was fairly painless. The core upgrade functionality worked, as advertised, now for the second release in a row. I've done this on desktops and servers now for two releases. And overall, while there's every now and then a few pain points... It frickin' works, guys. It fucking works. So I guess I want to be clear. I feel like that was too many upgrade loopholes for me to personally jump through because I, I do honestly feel like Fedora, for me, is contending with Arch for this workstation position. And with Arch, this is not something I run into very often. But I wouldn't say Arch is always problem free either, so I have to give some leeway to Fedora here. And they're getting within the like the like the throwing distance. You know what I mean, Noah? Like they're they're they're
1: close now. I feel like they they're almost. You know when there. I made when I made the switch to Arch. A lot of people when I when I gave my reasons of why I picked Arch over Fedora and Ubuntu and all you know every, name every distro. Yeah, a lot of people wrote it and I got telegrams and emails and said, well you 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 said that uh, fedora has a 6 month release cycle arch has a 5 hour release cycle they just it's constantly upgrading but the th- the difference is and i think your review perfectly exemplified this is that for all the good things i have to say about fedora for all the amazing things i have to say about red hat the upgrade process for fedora has never really been a good process and even though it has worked a couple of times, like when we went from 23 to 24, that happened to be seamless. They got a long ways to go before I'd ever actually trust an upgrade in production. There's no way I'd be doing an upgrade on Fedora the way I do it on Arch, which is just every day. Right. I click the button right. wait for my new packages to come down. So a long way from that. Here's why I think and it's. Personally, a, I, okay, go ahead personally i i well I just personally I think your threshold is way too high. I would not say that their core functionality worked. I would say that you you hacked it to to work at best, and the the entire upgrade process is exemplified as broken
0: well, <clears throat> I feel like i i I understand where they're coming from because they they have to contend with these third party repositories that they have no direct control over, and that's really where things went sideways now. My my comeback to that would be I need things like Telegram and VLC literally to do my job. Like I have to have those tools on my computer. So I have to go to these other repositories to get these things. Uh, And and this is sort of why it's kind of a big deal because I do not feel like I am even close to the minority for Fedora desktop users in that regard. That's why there is now RPM Fusion and United RPMs because there is demand for this. So this is – this really butts up against a problem fedora has because as soon as the next version comes out they're immediately pushing you to upgrade if you're using the software center which is now their their sort of go to methodology for upgrades and software management is using the software center, even for installing flat packs. When you look at their official guide on how to upgrade from Fedora 24 to Fedora 25, their recommended procedure is to use the software center. However, the software center has no capability of handling these kind of conflicts when you have third-party repos set up, which is a very Mm. common configuration On Fedora, so this I think is kind of an egregious problem in that sense because it's probably an Mm -hmm. extremely common setup, and their their standard upgrade tool doesn't seem to support it. I think Mm -hmm. this is reflective of an overall issue I have with Fedora still, and I don't mean to hammer this because I don't really want to make this uh, Fedora versus any other distro because I try to review Fedora on its own, but it does it does still seem to fail to understand who it's targeting. Um, So for the software center thing, for example, the fact that that's that's really the recommended way for you to upgrade, but then it doesn't handle third-party repos, that's indicative of one potential problem. But the other potential problem I saw is when I launched the software center – and I'm going to get to good stuff here in a moment. But when I launched the software center this morning, do you know what was featured at the top of the software center? Hmm. Firefox, an application that comes installed by default. It's not good. It's an indication of a big problem. And it's this problem where we fantasize about this theoretical Linux user that's walking along in a parking lot one day and sees a Fedora USB thumb drive and plugs Fedora into their computer, has no idea what it is, installs this operating system somehow onto their computer and then gets it and goes, well, what should I do next? Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll open up the software center. And then they open up the software center and they go, oh – the web browser that I already have installed. This is how I browse the web. Oh, I'll use this. That's that's the that, is that the idea behind this this why, featuring a web browser that everybody knows about is already installed by default. It's already the default web browser. Why are we featuring things like that when we could be featuring? Browsers that work out of the box on Wayland that don't require X wayland We could be featuring great open source projects or the Tor web browser. Something else that everybody knows about Firefox. My point is there's no thought put into this stuff. Just like there's no thought in the fact that there's third-party repos, there's a lack of focus on who you're targeting. You pretend like you're targeting this basic new user that's never even heard of a web browser before but is yet somehow using Fedora 25... In reality, your user base is much more sophisticated: sys admins server operators, DevOps, developers themselves. It's a workstation distribution, but you missed the mark. So
1: there's I don't several- know if I agree. Okay, fine. I, I don't know if I, so. For one, I think that there is a disproportionate amount of people that get put on Fedora because their system administrator friends say, "Yeah, I agree. here's a great desktop." Dispro- no, stop. So I just dis- no that-
0: stop a disproportionate amount. So the, here's the scenario in which I could see though some of that stuff. Is that exact scenario, a, a, a desktop in a business or a friend that puts somebody on Fedora. But Noah, mm-hmm. while I grant you that is absolutely a use case of Fedora, there is no way mm-hmm. in hell that's the majority of users. That has got to be the vast minority of users. Primarily the people that are running Fedora have got to be people that have chosen to run Fedora. That's got to
1: be Maybe. the percentage base. That's got to be it. Who You, you got to look at who you're targeting. I don't know. I just all I'm saying is I I put a lot of people on Fedora back in the day a lot of people before I started moving them over to Ubuntu and and the thing is a lot of those people and some of them are still using it uh, a lot of those people installed a lot of their software from the software center. Now, granted, I can't—I don't have a great answer why Firefox, a uh, web browser that's already installed is featured, uh, uh, except to say, is the software center specific to Fedora or is that a GNOME software center that, that Fedora is, yes, is including both. in their distro?
0: Both are sort of the truth. Both are sort of the case. And that doesn't really matter because it really depends what you ship. But let's I think it's, 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 it's such so, a minor oh, point. But, I don't really want to oh, give it too much more time. I don't really want the review I, to be about this. It's oh, not really fine. something but, I care so about.
1: You, well, that's fine. But then why have the software center at all? If you're really I, exactly. saying that it's forced. That's what I'm, no,
0: that's, that's my point. But let's move on because I think there's so much good stuff to talk about that I don't want to spend a disproportionate time talking about something that doesn't matter. This has been, my, my feeling about Fedora's focus has literally been a comment now that I've had for, I, I think, six years now. I mean, it's, it's, and they're getting closer and closer all the time, but they're still missing the mark. And I think that's really all I want to say. I, I How things are set so, up and by defaults. Okay, all right. Uh, well, we can pick it up in the post. show. I just, I hate for this to be the focus. I want to move forward uh, because there is something huge here that I think deserves so much more of our time that I, I definitely want to make sure we give it its fair due. This, for me, using open source drivers on the Intel video hardware has been the smoothest, slickest desktop experience I've ever had on Linux. And it's using Wayland. I, this is the first time we've ever shown the GNOME desktop in the show mirrored using Wayland. We're mm-hmm. using Wayland right now to, mm-hmm. to show you the screen. The transition from Fedora twenty four, which was X-based, to Fedora twenty five, which was using Wayland, was seamless. No seams at all. I, you would not know that a display manager swapperu had just happened. Wayland is a protocol, as we should point out in the chat room. Uh, it, it, Wayland is it's t- totally un, unobtrusive. It is totally transparent. It is The people have – the Fedora team waited till the right time to do this. They've been punting for release after release now. And I got to tell you, I I, I think they nailed this particular aspect. The GNOME support is totally there and solid. GNOME 3.22 on Wayland is butter smooth. It is – a tear free experience. It legitimately is great. I'm sure there's probably problems I will run into. I'm sure there's applications. I've heard rumors about FileZilla. I'm sure there's stuff that will go wrong. But for these last mm-hmm. few days, I have I have had I have had such a fun, fast experience with this desktop. I've run it on multiple pieces of hardware, super smooth, mm-hmm. applications launch crazy fast. This has got to be the fastest Linux I have ever experienced. And it's not some great SSD. It's some used, I think it's a, like a secondhand SSD I have in this machine. And it's balls to the walls fast. Every animation is smooth. I'm sure it's not going to be perfect forever, but my initial experience with Wayland under GNOME 322 is just totally socks blown off. It's Best, smoothest and, you Linux know what's experience. Great
1: about, you know what's great about that? Wasn't it just a couple of weeks ago we were talking about Mirror, and I was like, I feel like Mir is just kind of getting to the point where they're about ready to test, and it, but it's just not quite there. And now, just a couple weeks later, a month later, or whatever, you have a distribution that is shipping, you know, by your accounts, a fully functional out of the box, up, up until now, anyway, perfect iteration of Wayland. I, I just, I think it's important to point out how far ahead Wayland is, you know, to its competition, and 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 how market ready Wayland is as compared to its competition.
0: Perhaps so. Perhaps so. Uh, the, the, uh, uh, the, the, the experience has just been. I am so elated because I've been waiting for this day for so long. And the fact that I'm just like, I'm using it. I have HDMI mirroring hooked up right now. Uh, I've played Zonotic, which is running under X Wayland. So, I mean, it's not like it's all this stuff is, uh, you know, is Wayland aware or whatever. But uh, I can play mm-hmm. a great, one of my favorite uh, first person shooters under Wayland. Here, I, this is me playing Wayland, or uh, Zonotic under Wayland with mirrored HDMI video. So, I mean, pretty great. It works, 3D games work, performance is fantastic, my GPU doesn't, both at least in the two Intel machines I tested, don't seem to have any GPU issues. I was able to test it for a hot minute on an NVIDIA system, and then that system died on me, unrelated to the Wayland testing. But uh, for a hot minute, I did have Wayland under Nouveau, I believe, but then that machine literally keeled over, and so I couldn't test it any further. But look at that. Look at that. This is on Iris Graphics, mirrored. I'm not saying this game is like some sort of resource hog, but it's a game I'm playing under Whalen on the live stream right now. Episode 445, Achievement Unlocked, Noah. And Fedora brought it to us. They did it. Fedora 25 did it. This is a big deal. I mean, this is why I don't...
1: Interesting that you had to wait for Fedora to do that. Arch didn't do that for you, huh?
0: No, I mean, of course, I could... Actually, I was going to make... I could actually... I can actually run Arch on on Air Master, or Wayland under Arch on Air Master right now, but... There's something to be said for the distribution that's pushing that envelope consistently over project after release, after release, after release, working upstream with the toolkit vendors, working to make sure the desktop experience is smooth, making a hard line in the sand saying we are not going to turn it on in our distribution until the user can't even tell we've done it, and then they deliver on it. And I I really feel like this is a huge milestone because there was once upon a time in my Fedora reviews where I got all hot and bothered because they shipped – a volume control applet that didn't change the volume. And I thought that was such an egregious lack of attention to detail that they would dare ship a, a volume indicator where you could change the slider and it wouldn't change your volume. Horrible. So we've gone from a distribution that, that, that lacks that level of detail to now one in which they held this firm line and said, we will not make this switch to this new system until it is – at this certain level of quality, they stuck to it, release after release, taking the bad press, release after release, becoming the butt of a joke, release after release, stuck to their guns, and now they've done it. And on the machines I've tested on, I, I, I've, I've really enjoyed it. And Noah, i got to tell you, just on this Tuesday's Linux Unplugged, completely unrelated to this, we had mm-hmm. a side conversation about testing the feel – of the Linux desktop. You know, how fast Windows drag across the screen, if the window and the mm-hmm. mouse really feel like they're stuck to your finger or if they're lagging behind you. And we got into conversation of Mutter versus Kwin and X and all of this. And the consensus was, is we're kind of at a, a point with X11 and Mutter where it's just not going to get any better. We just can't get it any better. And so I was just starting to go like, You know, people over at Kwin and and Plasma Desktop, they've started to work on this. They've got an improved – they've got a pretty great system. It doesn't really have some of these limitations. Starting to think, God, maybe it's time to bail from the GNOME desktop because now that I've seen this, I can't unsee it. What am I going to do? This is going to ruin GNOME for me. Noah, what am I – oh, wait. It's amazing on Wayland. I have literally – it saved me because i once i started yeah. to see the slow performance and the jagginess under x uh, on gnome 3 i couldn't unsee it and then i was i was crapping on my favorite desktop constantly cuz it felt like it was too slow and i was starting to think okay i'm going to i'm going to set up this ultimate plasma desktop i'm going to just get this all done and i'm just going to dive in and i'm just going to give myself a gnome 3 like experience under the plasma desktop i'll configure it for like 2 days i'll save all my configs this will be my new home kwin will save me and I just was like not feeling it. No, I was not feeling mm. it. And so when I mm. used GNOME three on Wayland on both this Librem 15 and on the Apollo, and it was smooth as butter from boot to from all the way up to the desktop, mm. I, I felt like I felt like Gnome was safe for me. And in, in a one week I went from I think I got to switch from GNOME to oh my gosh, now I want Wayland on all of the things. And I don't know if maybe I'll, I'll dial that back after I've got a few more weeks with it. But I know a lot of folks out in our audience have already been running it for quite a while. So it's not like it's this totally untested territory. It's still sort of early days, but it's not like it's crazy untested either. So while I did definitely run into issues with the Fedora 24 upgrade, it wasn't totally insurmountable. And if they could tighten it up a little bit. If there was a way to make that a little less painful, maybe if the copper repositories actually get filled with stuff that I need to use, if there was a way to make that better, I've now got a a track record of two Fedora releases in a row that have upgraded pretty well. And just with a little minor tweaking, and I got on the other end, I got Wayland, I got a new version of GNOME, none of my extensions broke. I can reinstall VLC in two minutes. United RPMs already has repos up for not only 25, but they actually have repos up for Fedora 26 too. So they're really mm-hmm. on top of it. So I had I had the bulk of the stuff that got uninstalled back installed within 5 minutes. Not ideal, mm-hmm. not as easy it is on Arch, but getting really mm-hmm. damn close and it might be worth it if if I want something that's like I look at Arch as sort of like a pretty well-tuned truck. That drives really great and has a lot of nice features, but Fedora could really be more like a little kit car that takes a little more tweaking, but is hell as is just crazy hella fast and is pushing the envelope in a way that feels pretty cool. It feels pretty great to be using Wayland right now. Like I just I'm loving it. I'm loving it. So there's some rough edges, but I'm
1: loving it. I uh, so I I I also kick. I have I have I have had a Fedora install. It it is my primary distro from version one to like 20 or 21 or something like that. And then, and then I kind of jumped around for a little bit, but I've always had a Fedora machine that I've, that I've used. I uh, do not trust the upgrade process at all. Um, but what I did find uh, when I started using Fedora 25, I, I guess, so your criticism is lack of uh, of attention to detail. I guess, I don't view Fedora as being the detail-oriented distro. I don't think that's where they excel at. And frankly, I've never really cared about that. I view them as like the, I'm a guy who's working on servers, and I want to see what's going to be coming down the pipe I I want to get on that kind of that leading edge.
0: I don't want to put it out there. I think actually they have a pretty good attention to detail in some areas, like with the switch to Wayland um, and um, like – the DNF – the whole DNF tool, the way it outputs information, the way you interact with it, uh, the way mm. it does the upgrades is very clever and very smart and very easy to understand and one of my favorite package management tools. So I don't want to mm. despair their attention to detail. I, I guess to, to, to better put – in my own words, they still lack focus in a way that doesn't make them appealing as a DevOps sysadmin get worked on workstation. You're right though. If you're willing to tweak it a bit, See, it's pretty I- great.
1: Yeah, see, I and and that's just it. Is uh, as a system administrator, I've never cared about that. I've never cared about if the if the you know like like things like if the volume control thing didn't work or whatever. I just I'd find a way around it, or there, it just stuff like that just doesn't bother me. And maybe that's just just a difference in personality, but that's not what I care about, and that's not what I that's not why I used Fedora, and that's not the things I looked for Fedora for. What I looked for them for was. What are we going to see coming down the pipe next? What is going to be there? And I think a healthy part of that is you expect a certain amount of things to not work absolutely flawlessly or perfectly out of the box. And you kind of accept that and say, that's okay, but I get hands on it now so that later when it hits uh, Red Hat or later when it hits CentOS, I know exactly what to expect. And so by the time GNOME 3 got to red hat it has been it had been so so many times worked over that you know and, and at that time you know fedora gnome had come to fedora and fedora 15 and so i had played with it literally for six iterations before it actually made it into what we would call you know production standpoint and again you see them doing some really cool things so one of the things i noticed is their the new se linux troubleshooting module in cockpit is is amazing my troubleshooting of se linux Honestly, and I'll just be honest with you. I know this isn't the right way to do this. Here's my troubleshooting of SC Linux. Set and force zero. Enter. Let's see if it works. It works great. There must be a problem with SC Linux. Now let's dive into it. I, you know, and 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 oftentimes, if I'm being perfectly honest, I work with a lot of clients. University of North Dakota is one of them. One of the they have they give you like a checklist when you're installing a server, and one of the very first things on the list is shut SC Linux off because. I, th- I think honestly, it comes from a lot. Of, a lot of people just don't understand how context based security works. And so I don't think that they know how to troubleshoot problems. And so it causes unexpected problems that don't fit normal troubleshooting paradigms. And so they just want it turned off. And so this new troubleshooting module in uh, Cockpit, I think, is going to change the way that people view SE Linux. I think that's a really I agree. good thing. The other thing. Uh, the other thing I looked at that I thought was really cool was their media creator, and I don't know if you played with this. Yeah, that's new, and it experience.
0: even uh, it even downloads. Uh, see, what is it called, Noah? Because I, I looked at it and I read about it, but I haven't I haven't ran it yet. But it uh, it even so it's it's called,
1: a, the media, it's called the Fedora Media Writer, and basically what you can do is you you open it up, and my understanding is you can run it on on any op it makes it easier to run if you wanted to do it on on windows or mac os but basically it comes up with just three boxes and it says workstation server or custom and you click on the box and it automatically goes out downloads the iso writes the whole thing to the usb drive and it, it just makes it a very seamless experience to get install media and i'll take this moment to point out i'll take this moment to point out so much easier that i can honestly say today in november of 2016 it is easier to get a fedora install media than it is to get windows 10 <laughs> yeah that's true for sure
0: true. uh i'll say this too if if you once fedora 20 once the latest fedora comes out it's really hard to get the old version because i was going to go do a fedora 24 custom install and put MB back on there and do an upgrade on that you got to really you, you got go to yeah actually. you got to go back to the you actually got to go to the ftp mirrors and go through the ftp Right. file structure, but that's which is fine, but there's no links on the main Fedora page anymore after, after the new release comes out. Yeah, well. this, but that's, that's, that's what it is. Yeah. You know, so I'll, at the end of the day, uh, I would like to see some of the things addressed. I would really like to see a solution for those of us that end up using third-party repositories but still want to use the recommended ways to upgrade. It's kind of a hassle to A... Once the new release comes out, to get no more software updates via the software center, I can only use the command line to update my Fedora system. So it feels like I'm pushed towards Fedora 25 pretty heavily, but then if I actually click the button, it would just break on me. So that's I would like to see that particular problem addressed, whatever it would be, whatever the solution is there. Uh, that would be nice. The other thing I would like to see solved maybe in the near future uh, would be some more better, cleaner, tighter defaults. But overall, I I think it's there's not a lot to be criticized. I don't think their default themes and icons are all that inspired. They could clean that kind of stuff up. And the uh, repositories still lack basic software. These are all criticisms that we've had for Fedora for a while. And if you're a Fedora user, you've found ways around yes. them. So you know about these things. And it, I think it is probably fair to say, at least initially so far, to me, this feels like Fedora's nailed this release. I did not say that about Fedora 24. I had explicit issues with Fedora 24. I feel like that was one of the more fumbled releases in a while and they've made up for it in spades with Fedora 25. And and I really am getting happier and happier every single time with this upgrade process. So while it was primary, the primary area of my concern for this review, it's getting closer, Noah. It's getting closer and it's I think in the manageable territory now if you're comfortable looking at conflicts, removing packages, getting the newer versions of the repos, reinstalling those packages, you're pretty much good to go at this point with Fedora. I'm, I'm, it's not easy, I'm it's gonna, tedious, I'm,
1: but it's doable. Yeah, I'm going to stick to my guns and say my Noah's recommendation is new can if you're going yeah. from one version to the other. Back yourself <sighs> up and just do it. Nice-
0: you know, I, I, I used to say that all the time, actually. I was, that was my default go-to. Mm-hmm. But now that I've had mm-hmm. a couple of Arch desktops going on two, three years installs, you know, some mm-hmm. older installs, it's really nice to sit down and have all my GPG oh, stuff yeah. set up. all of my SSH keys are all done. All my programs work, everything's good to go. All mm-hmm. my way my applications are laid out the way I like them. It's just it makes me it makes it easier for me to get work done. So if I'm using a workstation, mm-hmm. I kind of want to be able to at least have an install around for two or three years now and I, that's where i'm i'm really wondering down the road if maybe we'll see a more official fedora rolling there's rumors to that effect that perhaps something a little more rolling could be coming from fedora not quite arch but maybe something that gets updated a little more frequently and some of these problems like having to upgrade every 6 to 8 months
1: might go away we might be Which talking. is funny, because I'm hoping for the exact opposite. I'm hoping, I'm really hoping for a Fedora LDS. I promise I will switch every computer I own and everyone I can talk into to a Fedora LTS. And,
0: and the meanwhile, me they're going, uh, sorry, no, that's called CentOS. Uh, I know.
1: So. I know.
0: Sure. Yeah, but
1: the, yeah, but that they're different not support desktop. I know, I know, yeah. they're
0: different. I think, I think, uh, I would say it's probably going to go the rolling direction, but we shall see. Perhaps that'll be a future topic early next year on the show. But for now, that's the Linux Action Show's look at Fedora twenty-five, and that brings us to the end of this week's show. We got some great emails and potentially. A possible rant coming up, but first I want to thank System76, creators of machines designed and really born to run Linux. System76.com. When you buy one, tell them the Linux Action Show sent you. And for a limited time, they're giving away a really cool AR game. Check this ass out, Noah. It's got. Uh, it comes with. It's in the box for a limited time. They'll include this gun right here, which uh, hooks up to your your phone over blu- over Bluetooth. And then uh, you install their app, their AR app, and then you can shoot robots in re- – well, fake robots in reality. It's an AR app to shoot robots, and it's pretty cool. And I got this little gun right here. And it you'll love it, Noah, because it's a cloud-connected gun, which is right up your alley. It uses Bluetooth. It uses an app. This is like perfect for you, and you like guns. So it's just checking all the boxes, and they include it free right now for Every a limited box. time. I actually do think Other it's, people's guns. Ironically, it's – yeah, it's kind of funny that it's sort of your thing. System76 has a bunch of great desktops and laptops and servers, including the 4K Oryx. And did you see they also just launched the 4K Bonobo? Two yes, machines now. You know
1: what? Crazy. Oh, oh Bonobo. Bonobo, oh, okay, okay. yeah. In addition to the Oryx. OK, yeah. No, I didn't see that. Yeah. The Bonobo
0: is – the Bonobo is straight up 100 percent just totally – Completely insane. Sixth generation Intel desktop processor in the Bonobo. You can get dual GTX 10 GPUs and five terabytes of storage in the Bonobo laptop. And now you can get it with a 17.3 inch 1080p or 4K high DPI matte display. (laughs) It's just a beast. It is such a beast. Oh my gosh. And it just runs Linux perfectly out of the box too. A lot of people in the audience liking the Lemur – I'm sorry, the Lemur and uh, also the Oryx Pro. Those seem to be in the audience. Those seem to be the two big ones, Uh, the Lemur and the Oryx Pro. Check them out at system76.com and tell them Noah switched you to Linux. Do you want me to read the first one or do you want to take the first one? Up to you. I don't remember what the first one is. Oh, yeah. You Uh, you can read it. All right. So the first email, went over to jupiterbroadcasting.com and uh, clicked the contact link, came in from Craig. Uh, He says, UPS will come via – USPS or UPS. Hey dudes, uh, not a directly related uh, Linux question, but I, it does have to do with System 76 Rattel, so there's that. Uh, so I've been using my Rattel for months now. It's a real nice machine, plug, 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 but uh, with winter approaching and possible electricity failures due to ice and snow, I'm now serious on the lookout for an uninterruptible power supply for my Rattel. Not sure where to start. Since you guys are IT gurus, would you suggest an option that I should look at? Thanks for
1: lasting all the shows. I got to tell you, I'm a huge fan of what might be considered an off-brand, which is CyberPower. I buy their PDUs or the power distribution units, which have 10 outlets on the back, goes into a rack. Every rack we install has CyberPower PDU in them. And I'm becoming a big fan of their smart app uh, LCD uh, rack-mount uh, UPS. Now, the, you can take the ears off if you want to just set it sideways uh, next to a desktop. And they're about 160 bucks. But uh, absolute amazing UPSs seamless tie-in with linux you know when i worked at uh, when i work for large organizations a lot of them mandate apc which is kind of the the go-to brand name in ups but you're going to pay for it um and a lot of the utilities for apc are built in to linux i got to tell you all of the ups utilities work flawlessly right out of the box with the cyber power stuff i've used their stuff for four or five years now i've never had one fail Well, i've had the batteries fail but you know you can replace those um never had a device actually fail though great stuff gets five stars from from noah Nice. All right. So we will put a
0: link to the one Noah's talking about in the show notes, linking it on Amazon. Mm-hmm. By the way, Am- great actually, reviews on Amazon, have, too.
1: Uh, and, the, and by the way, the same brand that you have in uh, Rover. I was just going to so, say, uh, the episode last yeah. week
0: where we installed UPS and my NAS in uh, Lady Jupes also a cyber power. We have a few here at the studio, too, that have been around for a couple of years, run really great. So, I, I mean, at, mm-hmm. at my clients, I always deployed APCs. But at, yeah, well, at my germ, to, yeah. I've been doing CyberPower for – and it's just been just fine. So I think both of us would recommend CyberPower and uh, it also works with um, – what is the network UPS uh, nut, right? What is the uh, – the net, mm-hmm, I can't mm-hmm. – or is it – I can't remember. But the, uh, it works with the network UPS service too, which you're probably going to want to use under Linux. All right. Why don't you take the next one, Mr. Noah? I believe, right. I I believe it was actually addressed right. to you.
1: Oh, yeah. Peter D writes in and he says, I recently installed Antargos on my Orc Pro and experienced similar problems with the trackpad. I found that replacing LightDM with GDM fixed the problems with the trackpad. After switching to G- GDM, additional options appeared for the trackpad, including tap to click. Also, after switching to GDM, two finger scrolling worked better and particularly horizontal scrolling. Now, I uninstalled LightDM this week and installed GDM on both of my Arch machines. <sighs> on my desktop, it was it was fine. It was, it I told you not to uninstall
0: Lightning. it. I said, don't uninstall it. No,
1: no, no. Disable, 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 disable. Wrong friend. Disable. I disabled. I installed okay. idea. Disabled. Okay. That's all I did. Okay. You'll know that when I get later on the story. because I'm you know, Desktop worked fine. I hit enter. I could log in. Everything was great. In fact, I think the login manager, how the desktop like slides up, and then you go to the password. I think that looks cool. So, way better, right? Laptop was a disaster. I Uh-oh. could press enter to log in, which was good. So, plus one. But... My laptop no longer locked when I put it into standby, which presented with how shall I say an embarrassing incident when I opened it up and I thought the screen was locked and it was not. And then, uh, so then I that was like one mark because I had to constantly press the the super key L to lock before I put it into standby, which is a pain. But as the viewer correctly pointed out, it unlocks a whole nother range of like trackpad controls, and GNOME decides that it's going to take over and reconfigure my trackpad in all sorts of cool ways. One, I hate horizontal scrolling, and so that was driving me nuts. But more importantly, it reconfigured my my right click so I could – like on my trackpad, the way it is with LightDM and every other desktop, Linux desktop out there, I can take two fingers and put it anywhere on the trackpad and click, and it becomes right click. For whatever reason, under GDM, I have to take my single index finger, go to the very itty-bitty of the corner of the t- trackpad, and like just touch it. It just so happened I was writing the plethora of Reddit posts that weekend, and I don't spell very good, so I write the entire post, and then I go and right-click and correct all my auto-spell checks things, and I went through with this irritating, you know, like getting my fingernail on the thing and clicking on it and correcting all like 700 misspelled words, and then – I went to post it and it like jumbled the posts all up because there was too many words. So I had to go redo the entire thing again. And then I ha- and about that time, I was ready to throw the laptop across the room because this right click thing was driving me nuts. So thank you for your email, because I didn't <laughs> realize that it was GDM that had wholeheartedly destroyed my trackpad. And I just went back to LightDM. Oh and interestingly God, enough, not only is my trackpad work functionally now, interestingly enough, now I can press enter and log in under LightDM, which was my entire complaint in the first place. I don't, okay. know, I don't know about that. Did you check to see um, the privacy thing if screen lock
0: was turned on? Because you go in here and you check this box, and then it locks after you sleep it. Is that a no? It's actually usually turned on by default. I had to turn mine off so that way people here in the studio could use my machine. There's a box, huh?
1: There's just a checkbox, yeah. <laughs> Goddamn it, No. <laughs> Wait, is there a checkbox for screw up his trackpad, and make it so he doesn't have any right click? Is no, that a the, the whole script?
0: the whole right click thing does that sometimes drives me crazy too. Yeah, I know what you mean. I want um, uh, You want the MacBook style trackpads? What you want? Just say it because that's how the mac duck I book. want the
1: trackpad that works I just oh, okay. I want the trackpad that works under Ubuntu under Fedora under Arch with LightDM under OpenSUSE uh, what other distros have I tried on there all of those work just fine it just all of a sudden you know what's funny dude is I
0: don't GDM, notice any not, of this GDM. stuff and I think it's maybe because I don't use it so on upstairs I use GDM and down here I use LightDM otherwise the two machines are identical and but I use mm-hmm. I use I use regular mice I don't use uh Use trackpad. Yeah. no, the
1: desktop. Desktop was fine. I have GDM on my desktop. No complaints. And like I said, and actually, oh, 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 now with GDM it tracks what, where my cursor is, like which monitor is on, and so when I press enter, the little the background goes up, which is really cool, as previously mentioned, and then the password shows up wherever my mouse is. Yeah.
0: So that's nice.
1: Yeah. Is so it, yeah. GDM super cool on the desktop. Disaster on my laptop. Disaster. Hmm.
0: Horrible. Speaking of the Wayland thing, you know, it, it, you, uh, one of the ways you can tell uh, uh, is Wayland, when you, uh, when you use a Fedora 25, you can go, I don't have it hooked up to my screen anymore, but you can do a PS, ef, and you can see that there is GDM Wayland session. That's one of the ways you can tell if your Fedora 25 instance is using Wayland. So I think, I don't know for sure, but I suspect
1: GDM is pretty essential to the Wayland experience. So one other thing I wanted to mention in the feedback segment, if you don't mind, a couple of weeks ago, probably more close to a couple months ago, I had asked if there was anyone in the central Wisconsin area uh, near Portage that was that was interested in doing some contract work. Uh, I had a bunch of people write in, and that was great. And then I went to Wisconsin for a week and asked all any of those people to come meet up with me, and so we could discuss some details. And mm, a couple of them said they moved, and then nobody else got back to me. So I am still looking for people in central Wisconsin. If you're interested in some part time work, working for Altaspeed, switching people to Linux, doing all those sorts of those cool things. Head over to altaspeed.com, click on the contact link and let it actually screw that. Send me an email, noah at altaspeed.com. I'm getting desperate. I need somebody there. I don't, I'm an, it looks like I'm going to have to make another trip out there to work another four days. If somebody was there, I wouldn't have to do that. So send me an email, no at altaspeed.com. And uh, and let me know that you're interested.
0: I got a great bit for the show. We should send Chris. Chris does IT again. Send me out
1: there. We'll bring a camera. I'll do it. You know what's funny? I, I'm not. I'm not kidding. I actually. I was actually going to talk to you about this. I, I just. I didn't know if it was something you'd be interested in. I have to migrate these guys off of an Exchange server and onto something else. Right. Oh here's God, the problem. Dude. My here's the problem. My level of experience with Exchange servers is the same. My level of experience with Final Cut Ten. I've never used it so Hmm. uh what version of exchange do you know do Do you know what version of exchange it is by chance no i i I could find out but i i just i don't know it does not do exchange so uh, it would be really nice to have somebody that has experience with exchange there doing this stuff and you know we'd cover the cost to to, you know that'd be that'd be be that'd be interesting content uh what are you moving them to
0: something Uh, on linux
1: well, uh, kind of. So again, everything in baby steps, right? So the first step is to get them off of their Windows nonsense backend onto something that will work. My understanding is with G Suite is it's a drop-in replacement for Exchange, so we can import all of their calendars, all their emails, everything just works. They can continue using everything as they know it until we move them over to Thunderbird. Oh boy! And then eventually. Oh
0: boy. Well. We're, we're uh, on it, there. We're on there. Anybody out there that has any advice for Noah, maybe hook him up. He's at Colonel Linux on Twitter, and I am at Chris Las. Otherwise, I'll tell you what, if it depending on the version of Exchange, I might be able to help you out. That could be a lot of fun. Um, yeah. And uh, also, if you want to email the show, the contact page is where you go, or start a thread in our subreddit, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. That's also a great place to submit a project that we should look at or a news story or give your commentary. We also stream the show live every single Sunday over at jblive.tv. It's a great experience. It's way more show when you watch live. And then I release the full live stream to our patrons at patreon.com slash today. So if you can't catch it live, that's always an option. But never fear. We give the whole show away for free via RSS and all other crazy downloads and YouTubes and all the whatnots. Just go to jupiterbroadcasting.com, get the links, and you get the nice edited together, cleaned up. Probably better version, just not as much fun over on our website. And, uh, and is there anything else? No? All right, I'd say last. I don't think so. I think that's it. That's the show. I'd say last but not least, then I should plug. We had uh, uh, Matt DM from uh, from Fedora, the Fedora project lead, on Linux Unplugged last Tuesday, talking about Fedora 25. So if you want to hear details from the horse's mouth about Fedora 25, and you want more Fedora 25 goodness, go check out our chat with Matt on this last Tuesday's episode of Linux Unplugged and. Probably get some of the uh, virtual lugs' follow up opinions on their experiences with Fedora 25 in this Tuesday's Linux Unplugged. So there's more Linux content to be had. Thanks everyone for tuning in this week's episode of the Linux Action Show, and we'll see you right back here next week. My name is Chris.
1: Well, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta start, like, know, you gotta give me, shit. Like, you can't just, like, you can't, like, surprise just me, you know? like, your you shit can count sandwich. down and say, shit sandwich you for could, fun. You can count down, you can be like, four, three, two, right. one, my name is Chris. Let's All try
0: right. it again, in a three, in a two. Welcome to Linux Action My name Show.
1: is Noah. <laughs> <laughs> you bastard.
0: Hold on, first I have to put my, hold on, before I can shoot you in the face, I have to put my, ph- I have to put my phone in the mount and get it connected to Bluetooth. And sign into the cloud service. Okay, now I can shoot you. (laughs) All right. (laughs) (laughs) I even have a cloud-connected gun right now. I can't even with this stuff. (laughs) I can't even. (laughs) It's unbelievable. So I'm having a hard week with technology. And, and, no
1: shit. The telegram I I got from Chris was, I'm convinced that laptops rot if you don't use them enough. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, because, like, what's happening? Uh, I'm convinced you're cursed. Yeah, I don't. That doesn't sound like a real thing, though. Um, yeah, I know, but it totally is. Touch- Five laptops. That, listen, reco- the, the wise beard put it the best. Five laptops dying in in a matter of three days is so far beyond. No, like, I'd say they died, died at they died at, cool
0: very, they died at fairy. They died at various times. I just didn't. I find out all at yeah. once. That's what it is. So they've probably been. Mm. One's been dead for a week. One's been dead mm. for a month. And then I, I go to use it. And it's like, oh, what? What do you mean? You? What do you mean? It doesn't? What? That's what happens. That's oh. what happens, um, but I was—I was gonna. I took a picture. I wanted to show you. I had a. Uh, let's see, do I have it here? All oh, Chris's dead computers. So then, so like, I am like, well, at least I still have AirMaster and HairMaster. And so I thought, well, let's see how Fedora twenty five runs on HairMaster. So I just want to boot up the live environment on HairMaster. But Fedora twenty five, uh, the new VU driver or whatever, just takes a shit with my DisplayPort setup, so I don't get any graphics. So, I hard reset the machine. And after I hard reset the machine, it takes a little while to post. In fact, it took so long to post that I started working on my other computer. And then the screen flicker, I went, oh yeah, I booted that thing up. And then it it comes up with a menu that says overclocking failed. Press like this button for defaults. And I'm like, this isn't set for overclocking. Everything's just set for stock defaults. Like, this is, I always hate that because it's designed like the BIOS is like losing its shit. Or the CPU had a problem at post, or there was some sort of RAM timing issue, or something happened at post where it thinks I've screwed up my overclocking settings, and so it just resets everything back to defaults, which are probably fine, if not slightly unoptimized. And so I'm like, what the hell's going on with my machine now? I do a random restart, and now it says overclocking has failed, it doesn't overclock, so I had to uh, power that off, power that back on. So that was, that was Hairmaster this week. And then the whole power button thing down here, which is inexplicable, completely inexplicable. It could be that the power button in the case just failed. Could be. It could be that if I press it right now, it'll turn off. I don't know. Totally inexplicable.
1: We should find out. But We should should really, we should find out.
0: Could you imagine after losing three laptops and Hair Master failing to post, I come down here and the power
1: button doesn't work. And I'm like, what is going on? I quit. I I quit. I I was thinking about this before. I was thinking about this because when you when we were having this text message conversation, I was driving to go get Chinese pickup, and <laughs> I was like, I started I started out in a, in a in a very promising mood. I was like, Chinese pickup, I'm going to have some sweet uh, you know sweet and sour chicken, oh and no. sesame chicken, a little general sauce on the side, and then I start getting these flurry of text message. And after I picked up my Chinese conversation over, like we both we both were not going to give in. So we kind of settled on that middle ground of, well, it's not really possible, probable, whatever. We'll just kind of meet there and just kind of we'll just we'll accept our own explanations, go our (laughs) separate ways. And like I was I was so mad when I got home and I why am I so mad? Why am I so upset about this? And then I figured it out. Here's why I was so mad. Here's why it was so offensive to me, because it's not a matter of forgetting to plug in the power switch. That that really didn't happen. I think we both know that didn't happen. Really, really what the implication is, is that Rekai and I set the computer down in the studio, plugged all the cables in, pushed the power button, it didn't come on, and went, oh, we didn't plug the power switch in. Took off the side of the case, used the motherboard switch, and went, he'll never notice. And put the side of the case back out and put the screws back on. Like, that's what would have to happen for the power switch not to be connected, but the computer to be powered up. So... It's like it's not really an accident, really. It's like uh, malicious. F-
0: Here's how I actually—I feel like you're being like too. You're like that's 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 not fair. Now, mind you, you also I, you have to set the stage right. So this is in the context of all of this equipment failure, plus mm-hmm. basically calling it all right. I'm just bailing on that Ubuntu install because I can't get it working. However. However, mm-hmm. the Mage Whale capture card just started working today, this morning. So all mm-hmm. week long, I could not get the Mage Whale to show up. I, and then today, mm-hmm. today, today I launched Chrome and and and, and, and it's just there. The video is just working. So that's now working under Ubuntu, so that's awesome. But so far this week and, it hasn't. And
1: it was when I tested it as well.
0: I believe you because I saw <laughs> that you went to like Jitsi yeah. or something in the browser. Like I, But it right, wasn't working. Right. And that's why I was like, and I'm like, at first I'm like, I don't. I, you don't have to set anything up to make this work. And I'm not like going like, is this an old kernel? Like, anyways, so that was in the context of like everything had failed. Then that power button doesn't work. And here's what happened too is I, re- um, I rebooted the machine after updates, and it came up, and the mouse and keyboard weren't working. So it was some sort of something was going on. Anyways, the mouse and keyboard weren't working. The keyboard didn't even light up, the LED backlight. And so then when I and then the power button wouldn't work. So I'm like, maybe what happened was the machine got assembled, and like as final things were put together, th- it was something was being tested, and it was just never shut off after that. Like, like before like final assembly, like thing we just moved on, because that week was crazy. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, not, we did all the we did all the testing outside of the studio. We didn't put it. Into I know, the studio I know, then- I know, but. I mean, what are no, the I chances mean, the power plug would come undone? Like, so I was like, I don't, I don't like, know. All maybe, I can tell you, all I can, but I didn't I mean, think like it's, it's you guys were like, trying to be tricky. I was more like, I wonder if like it got assembled and they were testing something and then put the case on because we moved on. That's what I was not like. It was like, know. oh yeah, no, we, tested, you'll never we find it outside
1: out. and, then, yeah. and, and, then, and then and then moved it in. So like the, at the time that we put it in the studio, it was like it was ready to go and we definitely powered it up using the power button. So it's not there's it's like it's one of those things where it's like to me it's 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 about as ridiculous. As somebody being like, hey, Noah, you were going to go install Linux and you accidentally grabbed the Windows 7 disk and installed Windows. Like, it's so far like that. It's so far out of my mind of possibilities. Like it's not like it's not like it's not like a maybe. It's not like a one a percent or three percent or ten percent chance. Zero percent. Zero percent chance. Absolutely no possibility of a percent of a chance that we didn't hook that power button up. You should take the case off and look. It wouldn't take that long. Well, but there is no possible
0: way. Here's what I was thinking: is I got to swap out the uh, HDMI hookup for the Fedora review segment yeah, so I could know. try the power button. Yeah.
1: We could try it yeah, after the news. Yeah, try and the see power. It works. Try the power button after the news. There is absolutely no, positively <laughs> no possible. I agree, but then why wouldn't the button work? And you know the
0: reason. The reason, legitimately, the, the failed, machine. The, button the, button failed, the other failed, reason why it's possible it is because the machine has been rebooted, but it has never been turned off. And I don't even after a power I don't even know even after a power outage, the BIOS is set to uh, resume the last power state, so it even powers itself on after a power outage.
1: None of that explains how it got powered on the first time. Well, and I definitely I, didn't think inside of the like, off. I'm, the I'm picturing, like,
0: hooking stuff up, got it in the studio, hooking up USB devices, hooking up cables, and, like, you know, I don't know. I, I, I bet it works. Maybe it works. But here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. Maybe, maybe it does work, and it was like a motherboard frozen thing. Like, maybe because the US That might be... Is, that could that, that could very well I'm not be almost not. Things, I, but think, I think. See, so you're going I know, but to here's, 11. Here's the, here's you're assuming I'm at 11, the, and I'm like, it's possible you guys didn't hook up the power plug. It's also possible the case is broken or the motherboard screwed. Like, I'm saying, like, no, it's three guess, things, and you're like, he I, only believes
1: it's one thing. No, no, yes, no, no. Yes, it the yes. fir- no. It was the first yes. message I got was, is it possible that? And then yeah. insert. No one hooked up. Not is it maybe one of these? Is it possible 100 that 100 hold on,
0: issues? Hold of on. Like, Here's what I said. Is it possible that the power switch didn't get hooked up? Not you dumb yeah. fucks never hooked I said, up the no. power switch. <laughs> you morons. You monkeys. I didn't say that. I said is it possible <laughs> that this could have happened? Because <laughs> I'm pressing the power button. And this
1: ain't working right now. That's and my answer was a definitive no. It is not possible that it didn't get hooked up. <laughs> Lots of things are possible. But that isn't one of them. Oh. There must be another explanation.
0: Uh-huh. Well, you're right. It could maybe just HTML5 will fix it. You're right, typo. That could solve it. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I think there's an implication right, that there, I'm, could have been, there could have been a concern that something was overlooked.
1: That's probably the root cause of the issue. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what? If, it, it, I would agree. If you were like, d- did you guys overlook to put the right. mouse on the right side of the keyboard now, or install the okay. software? Any of those, I would be like, so, sure, but forget <laughs> to put the power button on the I know, the I know, and, I and, know and, but and, legitimately at the time, the like, when I, hey, the, when I
0: said that, I'm like, this shit ain't working. Like, what is... This shit is not working. What is going on? Like, that's like, and I'm like, is it possible? Like, because I'm sitting right here, and I'm like, is it possible?
1: This, this shit is not working. So you can see it's kind of a reasonable question. Uh, is there really a spider? I, I see you guys posting that. I just assume y'all are, 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 are freaking trolling me. I don't see a spider anywhere. I swear to God. I have a 45 in my office. I'm not afraid to get it. Are they
0: still trolling you about the spider?
1: Oh, uh, yeah, I know. I, I ignored them because we were like in the show, but like, no, nah, there's, there's no spider. I looked when there's they said it. They're just screwing with you. Yeah. Was
0: All right. I did
1: have a pie. No, there's the no spider. Didn't
0: scare I don't mean to interrupt because you are, I'm sure, on a very good rant about Mir. But uh, this <laughs> is officially a moment for the Linux Action Show. This is the first time we have ever mirrored. A GNOME three Wayland desktop to the live stream. That is Wayland hooked up to the live stream, ladies and gentlemen. Nice. Power
1: button. Power button time. 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 Power button
0: All right. So do you think I should just press it now and not
1: shut down, or do you power think time, I? Time. Power button. Power button. Time. Power. So here, how do you want me to do it? Do you... I say you shut the thing off. You power the thing off and use the power button to power it back on because that power button hooked up. All right. And powering off. It. Okay, wow, this thing
0: is so fast, it's off.
1: Uh... So what you should do is take the side of the case off and look and see about oh. the power button. Well, hold on, hold on. I pushed it. Let's I, see, if it thing, see if it works out. I want to see if it works.
0: It's working. I'm just saying. There not... you go. It's working. Okay. It works. Right. There you go, Noah. All All it right.
1: works. All right. Now I got a so turn- motherboard frozen up or... Whatever the problem was, not knowing Rekai are idiots.
0: Well, I mean, that's a separate issue. Let's not confuse the two things.
1: All right, now hold on. You entertain the
0: chat room <laughs> while <laughs>
1: I... Uh... Whoa. All right, let's... <laughs> uh, all right, I'll, let me entertain the chat right. room. Chowder, you ought to be entertained. Let's, let's be entertained. All right. All right, Noah. Quit... Hey. Quit
0: <laughs> screwing around. Let's, right. Quit screwing Sorry. around. Let's go. What are we doing? Show? Yes. Oh.